0: Really waiting for that pregnant pause and, and then that fantastic awe. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, and for those of you who don't know me, um, I'm Norbert Fullerton. I'm one of the elders at, at Billericay Baptist Church. And um, it's a privilege. It's great to be here this morning. Um, I think I've been down to speak here probably a couple of times, but for very, very valid reasons, um, one of which my mum my passed away last year. Um, when I was supposed to speak, so of course I couldn't be here. I had to fly away to Jamaica. Um, but thank you again for this wonderful pri- privilege to be here and to share in God's word together as one family. Amen. Amen. I like responses. You know, I'm from the Caribbean. I have a Pentecostal background and kind of kind of similar to Ian Moore. You know. We say hallelujah and amen, and there are responses and all sorts of very lively singing and, and speaking and all that kind of stuff. So if I say amen, please, you know, give me a nice little response. Even if it's a little bit quiet, that's fine. I know, you know, we're in Britain and, you know, we can be a little bit sedate sometimes. Um, but this morning's passage is from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19. To 22. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people, and also members of His household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus Himself as the chief cornerstone. In Him. The whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. In 2007, uh, my wife and I, my wife Christine, she's one of the worship leaders um, here, we became British citizens. I have my my British citizenship pack um, that I was given given when I I, um, went went up to that ceremony. And it was a swearing in ceremony as as many of you may be aware. Um, And It was in Chemsford, in Chemsford registry office. And Her Majesty, it kind of rolls off my tongue very easily. Her Majesty, Vice Lord Lieutenant for Essex was there. And he represented the Queen. And his presence there showed the, the gravity and the importance of the actual occasion. Um, and after some meaningful introductions and some, you know, pomp and pageantry, uh, we had the actual swearing in, and I had to swear an oath of allegiance to the Queen. Um, and, of course, pledge our loyalty to the UK. Oh, my gosh, that was a little bit challenging. <laughs> Ouch. And I know this can be a slightly controversial point because I know some people um, refuse to swear allegiance to the Queen. But, but I was okay with that. And Christine was okay with that as well. Um, and then, of course, we went to the front and we picked up our certificate and all that kind of stuff. Um, and at the end of the ceremony, we took our photos and I have a few photos here, which you can see later on. Um, and as soon as we got home, we applied for that, you know, treasured red book. <laughs> which of course we, we read and we hear is going to become a blue book at some point <laughs> soon because of Brexit and so on but who knows um, and we received that a few weeks later um, but personally I found the actual ceremony powerful slightly emotional not too emotional I, I, I'm not one to cry um, too easily um, but of course there are some countries that don't allow dual citizenship particularly with the UK And and those citizens have to renounce their former citizenship from their former country and take an oath of allegiance to Britain. And for me, the important thing wasn't actually the ceremony in itself, but it was actually what it represented. Once you become a British citizen, you have a new identity with a new status, privileges and responsibilities. Just a couple of lines here from the actual swearing-in ceremony sheet that I dug up last night. Um, In return for civic, political, social, and cultural rights, for example, the protection uh, that a UK passport brings, the citizens of today are expected in each in their own way and in the light of their own unique ethnic, cultural, or religious background to uphold champion and support the interests and well-being of the nation. Wow, what a responsibility. And I hope you will take full advantage of these rights and liberties by taking an active role in your local community and beyond, whether it be in the economic, political, or voluntary sphere. And it goes on and on and on. In these few verses which we've just read, the Apostle Paul came to the end of Ephesians chapter 2. And he explained that the Christians in the church in Ephesus had a new identity. And that was really important at the time. They had transferred their allegiance from their former way of life, and they now had a new identity in Christ. And these verses give us a portrait of our new identity um, in Christ himself. So my sermon title this morning is Called into God's family Amen Amen. A nice feel good factor this morning You know, we're all together We're all loving each other You know, we're all respecting each other Respecting each other's giftings I just want to unpack these few verses here um, In three main themes First of all, we are citizens of God's kingdom That's the first part of verse 19 Secondly, we are members of God's household We are part of God's family And thirdly, we are stones in God's temple So let's do the first one We are citizens in God's kingdom Paul said in the first part of verse 19 So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers But you are fellow citizens with God's people And, of course, Paul was writing at a time when Rome was in its heyday, right? It was at the height of its territorial expansion and glory. Everyone wanted to become a Roman citizen. Rome dominated the entire world at at that point in time. And the Roman citizenship was highly, highly prized. And Rome had stood for a hundred years and was thought to be able to stand a few thousand years more Rome was going to dominate forever and ever and ever but Paul had a vision and said you know what I'm not going to look at Rome as I see it not as one great united kingdom because what I see are factions I see Jews and Gentiles I see hatred I see see male and female I see slave and free man I see Jews and Gentiles and other people being pulled apart and pushed apart and just coexisting with each other. So Paul wasn't referring here as being a Roman citizen. He was referring to another citizenship, and that is the citizenship of God's kingdom. And in its place, God saw Paul saw um, this new humanity created by God himself. Of course, this is revolutionary thinking at the time. How could someone come in and write and say, hey, forget about your former allegiance to Rome. There's going to be a new kingdom. There's going to be a brighter place where we're all going to be living together as one. And we're all God's people. Of course, God's kingdom goes beyond Boundaries and different nations And territories, don't they God's kingdom is about God himself Ruling his people And bestowing upon them all the privileges And responsibilities Which his rule implies Just like what I read earlier uh, Becoming a British citizen Becoming a British citizen There are certain privileges And responsibilities that you hold And that you have as being part of this new kingdom, when I arrived in London, um, I started as a master's student and then I got a work permit and then I became a permanent resident. I called myself at the time a permanent resident alien um, and one of the things was after I did my master's i was you know i, I I'm an actuary by profession and I'll explain that a little bit later on and um, there are two main parts to, to, to these exams the first part I could do as a master and, and you know, I sailed through the exams it was very very technical the second part of these exams I know David's son is an actuary so he can, uh, he can identify with this um, you know can take forever and, and they're very very difficult and very very wordy. and once I started one of the stipulations at the time from the home office was that no matter what um, subject it is that you're doing, because you're on a particular visa, you had to sit the exam at the next available sitting, which for me was two months um, after joining a particular firm. And when everybody else had six months luxury um, to, to prepare for it. So of course I failed the f- my first sitting. And by the time the results came out, Again, I had to sit it again because, of, of course, I didn't reala- realize that I um, had failed. Um, it was, the exam was two or three months hence, and then, of course, I failed it again. And one of the stipulations at the time was, no matter who you are, no matter whether you're starting to, become to, to, to do some cake mixing or to become an actuary or to become a nuclear physicist or whatever it is, two fails and you're out of the country. Right. And so my company, being a global company at the time, and still is, wrote a nice letter to the home office and begged and pleaded on, on my behalf. And I um, said, okay, fine. One final attempt. So of course, and of course I had a friend who was from the Bahamas, or still is from the Bahamas. And, <laughs> and she had been living in, in England for about 10, 12 years. Built up a relationship with lots of people, um, a big part in her community, and, and she had failed her her final exam before qualification one time too many, and and she was on the next plane out, I had to give up everything within a week, and so I was just very very nervous sitting in that final exam. Of course, of course, you know it wasn't just the the, the shame of of failing. <laughs> with my other colleagues who were were, um, attempting the exam at the time, but it was also the fact that if I had failed, and of course, Christine was here at the time as well, so we had got married, so we would have to uproot ourselves and go back to Jamaica. Thankfully, cut a long story short, I passed. But, you know, walking into that exam, that feeling was like this discrimination against foreigners, you know, I felt like an alien. I felt like, a, you know, a massive foreigner. No one cared about me. No one cared about the, the type of, or the quality of the exam that I was doing. You know, whatever it is that you're doing, get the hell out if you if you if you failed. That was how I felt um, at the time. Thankfully, yeah. you know, 21 years later, I'm still here. I'm, I'm observing here in this community, and I'm, you know, you know, things are wonderful, and God has been fantastic and amazing. But I can. Identify with Sting, who sang this song, um, Englishman in New York. (laughs) Um, The chorus goes, I'm an alien, I'm a legal alien, I'm an Englishman in New York. And at times I felt like an alien. I was a Jamaican in London. (laughs) Um, But thankfully, God has been amazing. And once I became a naturalized citizen, I became a fellow citizen With all natural born. UK or British citizens. As no longer a resident alien. But a fellow citizen. Here. And that is what Paul. Was referring to here. He was referring to the Ephesian Christians. In the first part of verse 19. So then you are no longer. Foreigners or aliens. Permanent resident aliens. (laughs) But you are. Fellow citizens with God's people. Revelation 7 verse 9 says I'm reading for my translation After this I looked After this I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. People from all walks of life, when we get to heaven, and we're all going to be part of that of God's ki- kingdom, fellow citizens with each other, fellow members of each other's family, black or white, Hebrew or Jews or Gentiles, Asians, Americans, British, Europeans, we're all going to be living together, right? Um, Such a wonderful and vivid imagery there. So first of all, we're going to be part of God's kingdom. Paul's second point was to illustrate our new identity as part of God's family. It's a lot more personal here. In the second part of of verse 19, it says... So then you're no longer foreigners and strangers or aliens, but you are members of his household. And I think Paul wrote this because it might have been possible for the Jews and the Gentiles and the blacks and whites or the the Italians or the Romans and everybody else to kind of coexist together in Rome. But he didn't want that. He didn't want people to think that way. It was about a more personal thing, interacting together. Um, loving each other, a far more intimate um, imagery. Members of God's household. In other words, we are family. We are family here together. And how is it that we are family members? In In the previous verse, in verse 18, it said, through Christ, we all have access to the Father by one Spirit. So we have. A shared father. That is how we are part of God's family. Ephesians 1 verse 5 says, God's unchanging plan has always been to adopt us into his his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. And John chapter 1 verses 12 to 13 says, Yet to all who did receive him, To those who believed in his name He gave the right to become Children of God Children born not of natural descent Nor of human decision Or a husband's will But born of God And we all know that By law adopted children And natural born children Have full equal rights You can't treat them any differently So adopted children Should be given Every opportunity The responsibility and blessing that they would give to a natural born child. So we don't need to feel as if we are second class citizens at all. Or second class family members. We are all equal together with Christ as part of God's family. And so what does this mean practically then for us? Rick Warren Um, the author of The Purpose Driven Life, explains it well here. He says, you were formed for God's family. One of your primary purposes was to be part of God's family. God doesn't only want you to know and love Him. He wants you to know and love His family. The number one reason that God wants us to love each other is so the world will see our love and will want to be a part of God's family as well. So other people's lives, other people's eternal destiny is at stake here. If we don't love each other as part of one family and they don't see our love, then they're not gonna become a part of our fellowship or a part of our family. They're not want to necessarily want to say, you know what? I see you. And I see how you live And I want what you have I, You know It becomes a little bit difficult Sometimes And I know so many people And I'm sure you do as well A lot of people have given their lives to God Because someone invited them to church Or they have seen The example of the lives That we as Christians um, Live And if we live together in unity And if we live together As one family It will be a oh, A whole lot more appealing and a whole lot more beautiful. A lot more people, I feel, will give their lives to God. If we love each other a whole lot more. A lot of their eternal destinies are at stake. And we all know, of course, that the church is not a building. It's not an event that we go to. The church is family, living life together on mission. And as part of God's family, we do a lot of things together. We share together. We share experiences together. We share our joys together. We we pray together. We share testimony. We have a sense of belonging and commitment. We serve together for a common purpose. And of course, we share our suffering together as well. Romans 12, verse 15 says, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Or mourn with those who mourn. And First Corinthians chapter 12 verse 26. Says if one part suffers. Every part suffers with it. If one part is honored. Every part rejoices with it. So when we serve together. You do your part. And when we suffer together. You share your heart. Amen? Yes. Amen. It's almost mathematical being an actuary myself. You know, if, if, <laughs> if we share our joys together, you know, the good news, you know, God, God, blessed, God blessed me yesterday, or last week, or, or I got a new place for my, for my grandson in school. You know, when other people share in your joy and say, yeah, that's great, that's wonderful. It's almost as if that joy has doubled. Amen? And when we are suffering and when we are feeling a little bit down and we are under the weather or or something bad happened at work or whatever it is um, and when we share that with each other it's almost as if that sadness is halved. It's almost a flip side, isn't it? A doubling or a halving. So we share our love and our joy and the good news together and we share our suffering together. That's why church is so wonderful. Out there, it is such a cold and dry and lonely world. No one cares about you. Especially, especially for me when I work in this city. A lot of times it's, it's, it's lots of robots just walking up and down, commuting from train station to train station, from road to road, from street to street. No one even looks or blinks at each other. It's such a cold world. But in our church it's so different. It should be different. It has to be different. This is where love is. This is where life is. This is where our emotional intelligence builds. Such a wonderful thing to be part of God's family. I don't want to be anywhere else (laughs) on the planet. I want to be Part of God's family. And I know sometimes we don't get along and we have differences of opinions and so on and so forth. But in the end, we are part of one loving, amazing family. Amen? Amen. Amen. And my number one prayer, my number one prayer for this year is that we develop more meaningful relationships, not just in Billericke Baptist. But as a church in this country, you know, stop the bickering, <laughs> I'm loving each other, building and fostering deep relationships. And one of the things, that I was watching a TED Talk recently um, online. And it's, you know, if you don't know what TED Talk is, just go on TED.com after the service. It's so many speeches and so many great and wonderful and amazing people from all walks of life. And one of the things that I, that, that I heard recently was um, they've followed. They, they were trying to find out what is it that makes people happy. Everyone wants to find out what is it that makes people happy. Um, I had a friend recently who said, "You know, I'm going to travel the world. I'm going to give up my job, travel the world. I don't need to find myself." <laughs> I'm like, really? Seriously? You got to find yourself in Vietnam? <laughs> um, and. Come back to this TED talk. So this guy, there was this. Stu- I mean, it was like the third or fourth guy leading this study, from back in the 1920s. They tracked a bunch of people, probably about two or three hundred people or so, um, from all walks of life, who were born in that particular time, and they tracked their children and their grandchildren and their great great grandchildren and so on and so forth, and they looked at their on their on their lives and they. And um, give them different surveys to fill out what is it that makes you happy and what is it that makes you sad um, they were rich and poor as well and all that kind of thing and in the end what they realized was what is it that made them happy was the depth and the quality of their relationships relationship with their friends or relationships with their partners or husbands or wives or whatever it was it was the quality of their relationships being part of a family, being part, part of good quality of friends who, who love each other and share everything with each other. They were, they were able to find um, that they were able to go through very, very difficult and challenging times in their lives and illnesses and sicknesses and all sorts of major surgeries once they had a good quality friendship. They were able to survive. They were able to more than just survive. They were able to thrive. And so it is in God's wonderful family, right? If you deep, deep, meaningful relationships, I feel, is, is is, is paramount importance today. So first of all, we are part of God's kingdom. We are citizens of God's kingdom. Secondly, we're part of his household. And thirdly, we are stones in God's temple. The Bible uses all kinds of metaphors or pictures to illustrate what it means to be the people of God. God's new community is often pictured as a building or more specifically as a temple. And of course... If we go back to the Old Testament The first major major temple, the Jewish temple Was built by Solomon It was called the first temple And after many many years and hundreds of years It was the second temple Which was built by Zerubbabel at the time And then of course finally the third one and the final one Was Herod's temple And these temples in Jerusalem Lasted for nearly a thousand years And had been the focal point of Israel's identity as people of God. So their citizenship was important. (laughs) Who they identified, which country or which nation or which town um, they identified with was very, very important. But also the temple that they had and that was built there. Particularly Herod's, it was, you know, he he had his (laughs) name written all over it. He was so full of himself. Um, But it was their identity. That temple was very, very important. John Stott um, said recently, or just before he passed away, that now there was a new people, a new humanity. But there also is a new temple. Jesus hinted, in John chapter 2, verse 19, um, when he was asked by, by the authorities, um, by what authority um, do you have to clear out these, these temple courts? Remember when Jesus took the rope and, and, and flagged and, and beat the ground and, and, and knocked the tables over and so on. By what authority do you have? And Jesus answered, I would destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days The temple was very very important And they understood it Of course they didn't really understand, understand it at the time Because a lot of them thought, thought that um, Jesus was talking about Herod's temple Or the Jewish temple It wasn't until after his death that, that the penny dropped It was talking about Jesus And Jesus' life and his body But here, in verses 20 to 22, Paul elaborates his vision of the temple in great detail. He refers to the building's foundation, the cornerstone, and the structure as a whole. And then, finally, the individual stones. So three main components. The temple had a foundation, it said it was built the, the foundation was built On the apostles And prophets And of course we know that The, the primary purpose That um, job that the, that the apostles And the prophets had Was a teaching role It's very very clear to me anyway That what constitutes this church's foundation Is God's word And just as a foundation Cannot be changed God's word cannot Be changed as well. The second thing was the temple had a cornerstone, and we all know that Jesus is that cornerstone. He was set on the foundation and was there to keep the building steady. The entire church, as we know, is built on Jesus, and He keeps the church steady. And just as how the temple is built in relation to the cornerstone, so the entire church is built in relation to Jesus. And Jesus is also how the church grows and how the church is held together. There is no unity or growth in God's kingdom if Christ is not the cornerstone. And finally, the temple has stones. Verses 21 to 22 says, In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So this is where we come in as a family. We have a very, very important role in God's temple. We are the stones. And each each one of the stones has a specific place and function in a building. And what do these features mean practically for us? Well, first of all, the stones... Placed in this great structure Are chosen and shaped by God God is the architect We all have different giftings And so on And God is the architect Second of all We all have different shapes and sizes the Different stones were built Of different materials sometimes and they, they all had different functions So we all serve together We all have different giftings Different talents we all serve together as one family. Another feature here is that the stones of the temple are chosen, shaped and placed not to draw attention to themselves, but to contribute to a great building in which God alone dwells. Humility is key. There are no prima donnas. There are no prima donna stones. There's no one stone that, that can say, I'm closer to Jesus. I'm closer to the God. To, to the cornerstone, and you 're less important than I am, all of us are equal in god 's family, and we 're all very important and we all have a very, very key role to play as part of god 's kingdom, as part of god 's temple, as part of the body of Christ. What a glorious picture that is every one of every one of us um, as believers um, dwelling together, rubbing shoulders with each other. We have to be close to each other, don't we? To form good relationships and to form deep and meaningful relationships. That's so important. And just finally, just drawing this to a close, let us live our lives to the fullest, shall we? So that we can reflect our new identity in Christ, our new citizenship as part of God's kingdom. We are God's citizens together. We are his household. We are his family. And we are the stones. In God's temple. Such a wonderful privilege to. Meet and stir up each other. To love one another as Christ has loved us. To carry one another's burdens. To encourage one another. And be encouraged. By others. And to teach and to be admonished by each other as well to cry together to laugh together to go through the mud together as one family and all these privileges belong to those for whom Christ died to reconcile us to God and to one another so let us live our fullest lives together shall we as part of God's family, living as citizens of God's kingdom, members of his household, and stones in God's temple. Amen. 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 Thank you.